daughter, not Angela, that's David's daughter. He's a musician that just carries over. <laughs> Make your way to Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6. And I want to talk to you today, a message called Out of Order. It doesn't mean it's broken, although it does mean that when things are out of order, they're oftentimes broken, aren't they? If you get things out of sequence, they don't really work that well. I want to speak to you this morning about some things that, that are, are near and dear to God's heart, and I want you to listen to me. The reason I want to share these with you is because you are near and dear to God's heart. And because you are near and dear to the Father's heart, he wants to bless you. I mean, Jesus even went, told a story. He said, hey, even you fallen fathers want to give good gifts to your kids, don't you? If your kid asks for, you know, a loaf of bread, you don't give him a stone. If he asks for an egg, you don't give him a scorpion. No, and he said, and if you, being fallen, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much, what, more? Does your Father in heaven want to give good gifts to those who love him? And in order to, to give you those good gifts, God wants to get you into, into such a, a, a position that, he might, that you might become, here's the word, blessable. Everyone say blessable. Amen. Blessable. And in order to do that, we've got to get the order straight. We've got to get the sequence right because God wants to bless us. God's big on being first. Anybody ever notice that? Even on this day, this is not necessarily a typical Easter message, but I'm here to tell you, God is big on being first. Matter of fact, today is what our Jewish brethren call the Feast of First Fruits. What kind of fruits, church? First. So you take the very first of the harvest and you give that to who? God. And Jesus, interestingly enough, is called the firstborn from the dead. And he arose on the first day of the week. Anybody see a pattern here? Or just me? First. And it's interesting, as we understand the biblical chronology, and I don't want to mess anybody's holiday up and ruin it for you, but Jesus was actually crucified on Wednesday, not Friday. Sorry to ruin that for some people. But, I mean, if you think he was crucified on Friday, not only is your theology wrong, you can't count. <laughs> because Friday to Sunday is not three days. Anyway, you can walk that back and look at the J Jewish calendar and even know the exact year that Jesus died. He's crucified on Wednesday, and they had to get him in the grave before the next day, and their day started at 6 p.m. So he's in the grave on the, at the very end of Wednesday. So when Thursday dawns for the Jew at dark, Jesus is where? He's in the grave. And that began the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Very important one-day feast. Unleavened means without sin. And where was the sinless Lamb of God on the Feast of Unleavened Bread? He was in the tomb. Having died for the sins of everybody, he fulfilled the feast. He spends three full days. All day Thursday, all day Friday, all day Saturday. He is where? In the tomb. He's in the grave. And here's a really cool thing that happened. As, as Sunday dawned, which would have been 6 p.m., Saturday, our time, as, as it got dark and Sunday dawned, <clears throat> the priest would rise very early in the morning. 
And he would, he would t- because that would begin the feast of first fruits. And the Bible says very clearly, when, do you do th- when does this feast start? He says, on the morrow after the Sabbath will the priest wave the shock of barley. So the day after the Sabbath, the Sabbath is what? Saturday. So the day after the Sabbath will be what? Sunday. The, what day of the week? First day of the week. Here's really cool. This is free. Jesus, here, here's the priest. He is over just less than a mile away, and he's in the temple, and he's waving this, this shock of barley before the Lord in, in the dark, and Jesus is waving goodbye to the tomb in the dark. <laughs> the first fruits waved before the Lord by the priest, the shadow, and the substance is, is less than a mile away, and he is waving goodbye to the tomb. He is raised again as the, as the substance of the feast. Of, he fulfills the feast of first fruits. He's the firstborn, and you and I will be raised up after him because he is first. God is big about being first. So Jesus is telling this. He begins this great sermon called the Sermon on the Mount in, in Matthew 6. We find the Lord's Prayer in there, too. It talks about a lot of stuff. But the whole basic gist of the Sermon on the Mount and, and Jesus' whole ministry is, is about life in the kingdom. He wants them to know what life in the kingdom looks like. And, and he's saying, you know, okay, so life in the kingdom is like this, but it's not like, it's not like this. It's not like what you think. Let me tell you, life in the kingdom is very, very different. So in Matthew 6, look at verse 25 there. I think that will come up on the screen. He says, therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life. So here's the first command is to not what? Mm-hmm. How many of you, be honest with me now, by a raise of the hand, and if you're sitting next to someone who's lying, you raise their hand for them. How many of you are professional worriers, and you know how to worry, okay? Jesus is talking to you, and he's also talking to the rest of you who are lying and didn't raise your hand. Okay, he says, stop worrying about your life. Well, what parts of your life? Well, he spells it out for you. What you will what? Eat. Now, I, I, I'm going to stop right there and just admit I'm a little worried about that. We worry about what we're going to eat. What you will what? Drink and what? Nor about your body, what you will what? Put on your clothes. And he says this, isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? By the way, church, that's a rhetorical question. Jesus assumes the answer is innate, that you get it. The answer is, yeah, of course. Life is more about what you wear. And here's the saying I want, I want to get in your mind today. It's a gist of what I want to share with you today, and it's this. That order matters. Sequence affects the rest. Order matters. Jesus, stop worrying about your basic needs. What you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to put on. And Jesus goes on to say, hey, God knows about all this stuff. How many of you know that God knows what you need? You know, we say, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, Pastor, I know that. Do we live like we know that? They say, well, I know it, but I don't, I don't believe it. I don't live like I believe it. And Jesus said, hey, God, God's got you covered. God knows what you need. And then he gives a couple of examples. He says, you know those little birds that fly around? They're, they're, they're not planning ahead, but guess what? God takes care of them. They don't have a Roth IRA. They don't even got a bank account. But God gives them their food every single day. Oh, and by the way, what you're wearing? You're so worried about that? <laughs> the lilies of the field. Even Solomon in his 
best Easter outfit was not dressed like, not arrayed like one of those. In other words, God's better at meeting your needs than you are on your best day. That's what he's getting across here. Order matters. So then verse 31. In verse 31, Jesus says this. Therefore, do not what? Here we go. Saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? Now, now let me just stop right there. Are those bad things? No. Those are, thank God for food. Thank God for something to drink. And you, and you look around. Thank God some of you are clothed. I mean, thank God for clothes. It would be a rough life, wouldn't it? I'm telling you. Those are not bad things. But Jesus said when the problem with them is when they get out of what? Order and significance. When things get out of sequence, good things become what? Bad things. They hurt you. And, and, and he says, then he says this, because after these, all these things, who seeks? Gentile. And that's a pretty cool word. I looked that up. Do you know what, you know what another translation of that says? Pagans. Now, the pagans of Jesus' day, when he's talking about when he says pagans, here's what the Jews are saying. They're Gentile neighbors, and did, did they believe in God? Oh, yeah, they believed in lots of gods. They didn't believe just in one God. They believed in a whole bunch of gods. God for everything and everything for a God. Little g gods. And he said, hey, the pagans, they're chasing, they're chasing, they're sacrificing all these different gods to get their food taken care of, to get their drink taken care of, to get their clothing taken care of, to have their business blessed. They're running around. Stop chasing after all these little gods, Jesus is saying, like the pagans do. You're not a pagan. You know that there's one true God. And he says, and here's why. Your heavenly father, what? What's that word? God knows. Everyone say God knows. God knows. He knows what you, you need all those things. He knows it. So stop freaking out. There's a better way. You ever heard of this guy, Abraham Maslow? Maslow's hierarchy of needs, human needs. It starts with physiological needs. You know what that is? Food, drink, and something to wear. Imagine that. And that's the basic need. That's the first need of man. And then it goes all the way on up to something called self-actualization at the top. That's when you're living for a purpose and on purpose. You know what Jesus does? He takes Maslow's chart in this nice little pyramid, and he turns it on its head. He said, no, eat, drink, wear, that comes last. When God comes first, those things come in the right order. Amen. Turn right upside down. By the way, that's life in the kingdom. It's life in the kingdom. So, so he says, look, stop worrying about all these things. God knows. Everyone say that. God knows. God knows. And if God knows, then stop what? Worrying. But here's your problem. Jesus is going to put his finger on it now. Jesus is going to put his finger right on the issue. Because you say, yeah, man, I want to do that. I want to stop. How many of you say, I'd love to stop worrying today. Happy Easter to me. Right? Would you not? And Jesus is going to give you the big YBH right here. Yeah, but how? And here it is. Next verse. That's our text for today. Instead of worrying about these basic needs that God already knows you have and delights to give to you, by the way. Right? He says, instead of that, what's his next verse? Verse 33 says, what? But seek what? First. What are we to chase after first of all and get in the right order? Seek first the what? Kingdom of God. There it is. And his what? His righteousness. That's, that's how we have a relationship with God and enter the kingdom. That's the door. Seek first God's kingdom 
and his righteousness, and what happens to all these things? They're added. God's got the things covered. And if you want to stop worrying about the things, it's not about more money. It's not about more position. It's not about more possessions. It's all about God being in the right place. Hmm? Getting God in, the, in his rightful place brings everything else into line, see? Seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and all the things, what are we going to eat, what are we going to drink, what are we going to wear, all these basic needs, take care of themselves. They're added to you. They're taken care of. So order matters. Sequence affects the rest. Does that make sense this morning? Let's take it a step further, can we? God is, God is big about being first. He is big. He wants to be first in our life. And he deserves to be first. But it's not even about deserving to be first. Why would God want to demand that he be first in your life? All right. I want you to lean in and, and embrace some, some serious truth here. We've got a jacked up view of God. We believe that God is a lot like our earthly father who was all about giving us a hard time and not taking care of us very well. Not my dad. But a lot of people had fathers like that. Have dealt with authority that was out for themselves and you were stepped on and you were hurt and you were broken. That's why when Jesus taught us to pray, he started with our Father where? In art in heaven. Why? He don't want you mixing that up with any other father you've known. I'm not, he's not like that. One of the apostles will go on to say, hey, his, his commands are not burdensome. They're not to hurt you. They're to give you a life and a future. He loves you. And when God says, I have to be first in your life, it's because you need him desperately to be first if everything else is going to line up and do right and be right in your life. So, so let's press in a little bit and let's look at this thing, idea of first place in the Old Testament. Wisest man outside of Jesus that ever lived was a guy named Solomon. And he wrote in Proverbs 3, verse 5, very well-known scripture, Trust in the Lord with what? How much of your heart? What does that mean? All, everything. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. That's the positive command. Here's what God wants us to do. Trust him with how much? All your heart. And on the flip side, here's what he doesn't want you to do. He wants you to stop doing what? And lean not on what? Stop leaning on your own understanding and start what? Trusting God in how much? All of it. So, so don't... Stop trusting your best ideas. By the way, your best ideas... Can I be honest with you this morning? Your best ideas for your life is what nailed Jesus to the cross. Yes? Your best thoughts for your life, your best plans for your life, landed the Son of God on an old rugged cross. And God is saying, hey, anybody home? Stop trusting in yourself. Stop leaning on what you think and trust me in how much of your ways? All your ways. Here's what I want you. I want you to trust me in everything and stop 
trusting yourself. Number one. Here's the second verse, verse 6. In how many of your ways are you noticing a pattern here? Anybody seeing this or is it just me? Here's two alls. In all of your ways, that means this. In every path of your life and every part of your life. In your work. In your relationships. Every part of your life. There is no compartment of your life that we are not to acknowledge God. In all of your ways, do what? Acknowledge Him. Now look that word up. That's an interesting word. You know what it means? It means submit. That's what it means. I'm a pastor. Oftentimes when I get into new situations, I remember when I first went to work at the funeral home, um, the people, the nice people dressed clean who stand out front and hand you the little program are very different kind of people behind the doors in the back. Anybody surprised? They're just real. And I remember when I first started working, I was in the back after we had a service and hanging out with the guys, and someone started uh, telling um, a joke that was, you wouldn't tell in church, had some colorful language in it. And you know what happened? You know what happened? One of the guys who knew who I was stopped him and said, wait a minute, stop. This is, let me introduce you, this is Pastor Paul. And you know what he said? He said, I am so sorry. What, what happened? He acknowledged me. And he submitted to who I was as a man of God. And he said, you know, as a man of God, this does not belong in your presence. I used to stop people from doing that. Now I encourage it. As a man of God, what I was about to say is inappropriate. I'm going to submit to your position and your calling. So what God is saying, what, what, Psalmist, what, what, what Solomon is saying here is in all your ways, submit to God. Bring everything what? Subjugate underneath God. Put God first. And what will he do? He'll direct your paths or he'll make your paths straight. By the way, we spend most of our time and energy trying to straighten out a path that only God can fix. You say, what's the answer? Seek him first. In all your ways, submit to him. He said, but I don't understand all of these ways. Well, go back to the first verse. Lean not on your own understanding. You don't have to understand it. Trust him in all your ways, even if you don't, especially if you don't understand it. You need to trust him. Am I making sense this morning? That's what he's saying. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he's the only one that can straighten out a crooked path. You say, oh, you had not seen my life. You're right, but he has. And he's got no problem straightening out the path ahead when he is in the right place, when everything is subjugated and submitted underneath him. Now look at this next verse. It gets even crazier. Do not be wise in your own eyes. How many of you know young people when they get wise in their own eyes? Hmm? I tell my kids all the time, don't, don't be the smartest person in the room. Don't do it. You're not ready to handle that. That's luggage too heavy for you to carry. Don't be wise in your own eyes. But what? Fear the Lord and depart from evil. By, by fearing God, well, how do we fear God? We put him what? First. And how much are your ways? What if you don't understand it? Stop leaning on your understanding. It's not about what you know or understand. It's about who God is. Put him first and trust him, especially in the parts you don't understand. 
And here's what happens. You fear the Lord, and when you do, you depart from evil. Verse 8. What happens when we do that? It'll be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. You say, what is that? That's a, that's a Jewish way of saying, it's good for you. It's, it's just good. You know, the, you know, the, the Jewish culture is all about food. That idea of comfort food, the Jews invented it. I really did. It'll be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. And uh, when I was reading this and thinking about it, <clears throat> it came to me when, when I came off this last 40-day fast, I was in a world of hurt. I was very nauseous through most of the 40 days of fasting. And I wasn't doing well. And I didn't even want to eat. I was afraid if I put anything in my mouth, I would throw it up. And with nothing in your stomach, that is a, that's a terrible thing. And finally, my wife pressed upon me and said, Honey, you have got, you must have something. And uh, she had made some bone broth from the bones of a, of a deer that I had harvested. And uh, she got a, a, a mug full of that bone broth, that warm bone broth, and she handed it to me. And I trusted her. And I took a sip of that bone broth. And it was this verse. It was health to my flesh and strength. To Do you remember that, baby? I drank that. I'm telling you what. It gives me chills right now just thinking about it. It was like, oh. Oh, it's so good. It's like getting in a hot tub after you've run five miles. Okay, some of you will never run five miles. It's like getting in a hot tub anyway. <laughs> it's just, oh, it's so good. Why? Because that's the way God, when God's first, everything falls in the line. It's beautiful. Let me hurry on. I want to get to the rest of this stuff. Okay, so we submit all our ways, not just the ones we understand. And I want to say this. You say, I know where you're going. Look at verse 9. Honor the Lord with your what? Possessions and with the, oh, there's that word, of all your what? Increase. The first fruits. Honor the Lord with what he's given you. And with the first fruits, the very first result of it belongs to who? God, put it in the right order. That goes back to all your ways. Submit to the Lord. Put it in the right order. And all of a sudden, what's verse 10 say? Here's what happens. So your barns will be what? Filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new. Well, you're Baptist Kool-Aid. But, you know, you know what I'm saying. (laughs) New wine. It's going to overflow. God's going to bless you. Indeed. Your barns will be. Now, that's not that is not the prosperity gospel. That's not what that's saying. But what it is saying, listen to me, (laughs) God's a good father, and he wants to get us blessable so that he can what? So he can bless us, and when he blesses us, when he gets us blessable, when we learn, listen to me, when we learn to put God in his rightful place, God is able to bless us fully, because he knows that we're going to turn around and use that for kingdom expansion. You say, well, God never seems to bless me. There's a reason for that. There's a reason for that. Because we're not faithful. He, God is not in the right place. And God said, look, and here's why. He said, oh, God just so mean. No, God's being gloriously kind to you. Because that money, those finances, without your heart in the right place, without God in the right place, will ruin you. It will ruin your life. You ever seen, I've read a thing on these lottery winners. And 90% of them say they wish they'd never won. It destroyed their life. Why? Because God isn't in the right place in their life. And the money destroyed them. So the reason God can't bless you is because 
You're not blessable. And if he did, it would destroy your life. Because God's a good God. Proverbs 3, 5 and 10. 5 through 10. Acknowledge the Lord. Submit to him in all your ways. And that's what he's going to do. I've asked David to come. He shared a story with me around a campfire the other night. And we were fellowshipping for a little very late at night. And I didn't think I heard him right. And I said, David, would you share that in church? Because it's a beautiful example of this. So, David, come up here and tell us that story. Hey, everybody. Uh, so I was talking to Paul a couple weeks ago. And um, he's been on the, this journey with Angela and myself for, uh, we, for a while now. But in short, um, my job has been uh, been getting a little dicey over the last three to four months. Um, things have been getting, uh, there's been kind of an angst and things have been kind of going sideways. And so Angela and I didn't know what our future was going to hold as far as my career, my job. Was I going to, you know, what was going to be, uh, what was going to be the next steps for us as a family? And so that had been happening over the first three months of this year. And so we had decided together that we need to try to save up as much money as we could in case things went sideways. You know, we could transition, you know, as easy as possible to whatever would come next for us. And so that had, we had determined that in our hearts. And so uh, about three weeks ago, we came into some money that we were expecting to get, but um, we got it and we got this prompt from God saying, you know, you're going to tithe on that, right? And it was a fairly significant amount where if we would have tithed, it would have been one of the biggest tithing checks we've ever written in our life. And so, and you know, you talk to God, well, I'm giving you from my paycheck. Is that good enough? And, um, you know, so you, but we don't know what's going to happen down the road. And so we want to be putting as much away to be as secure as possible for our family. And so that's a very, it's a very tough thing to do in, in the moment. But we made the decision that we, you know, we're going to go it, trust God. I had grown up and my family had gone from job to job, less money to less money. And I would have things like envelopes of thousands of dollars would come popping up on our porch and stuff like that. It was the weirdest stuff. And so we decided to trust God, and we tithed on that um, a few weeks ago. And so less than, so we do that, go home, go to bed, wake up, I go to work the next morning. And less than 24 hours after we write that check, my boss pulls me into his office, and we have about an hour-long conversation. We reconcile fully, and I got a promotion and a pay raise. Less than 24 hours. And it was just insane thinking that you're not, you might not even be here in a, in a week to everything's better than you thought it would be. And the first thing I thought, I said, you've got to be kidding me, you know. And I thought right to when we wrote that check on Sunday, I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Because the kind of stuff, I mean, it's not, I'm not trying to preach that this has got to tie. This is God's faithfulness. And what Paul's talking about is he's, he, if you're, he, he's, he's faithful. He'll do what he says he's going to do. So I just wanted to share that to encourage y'all and to let you know that we serve a God who will come through. Thank you, David. Thank you. Look, it's order, right? When we put God, in, when we get God in the right sequence in our life, we say, you know, oh man, this is a big God. Really? You want, I got to write this check. You know how many zeros are on this check? Really? Yeah, because it's vital that God is first place in the virtual family. It's vital, more vital than they even understood. So they said, you know what? God, you're God, we're not. That's, by the way, that's what that does, putting God first. You're God, we're not. So here you go. We're, we're going we're gonna to do what you've commanded us to do. 24 hours later, boom. Not only are things better, things are way better. Left field. And by the way, I want you, God had that planned in advance. That's the kind of God he is. 
So, so, so don't be afraid. Let me run through some things quickly to show you this. Exodus 13, 1 and 2. Here's what the scripture says. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Consecrate to me all of the firstborn. Everyone say firstborn. Whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and beast, it is what? Mine. It's mine. In the Hebrew, you know what that means? Mine. In the Greek translation of the Hebrew of the Old Testament, you know what it means? Mine. God said, hey, firstborn is whose? Mine. And by the way, God's not changing his mind on that. So let's look at the next verse. It says, um, where am I? That you shall set apart for the Lord all that opens the womb. That is, every firstborn that comes from an animal, uh, which you have, the male shall be the Lord's. Got it? So the firstborn males belong to who? God. All right. Now here's the deal. What happens when you have an animal born to you that is in the unclean class? Check it out. Verse 13. But every firstborn of a what? Donkey. Unclean. You shall redeem with a what? Clean. See it? You shall redeem with a lamb. And if you will not redeem it, then you shall what? Break its neck. And you're like, what does this have to do? This sermon's getting weird. It's in the Bible. You know what God's saying? Look, firstborn is whose? Mine. Now, if it's unclean, it has to be redeemed by something that is clean. And by the way, you know how you redeem it with a lamb? The donkey doesn't die. The lamb dies. You sacrifice the lamb, the clean for the unclean. And if not, you break the donkey's neck. Why? Because as the firstborn male, it belongs to who? God. And if you try to use what is God's without it being redeemed and consecrated, it's, it does you no good. It becomes a curse. And some of us today are trying to use things that are God's, that, that, are, that are the first fruits of, of our labor, that belong to God, and we're using them for ourselves, and we wonder why is our life so cursed. Be careful. God must be in the right place. The rest of that says, And all the firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. Isn't that amazing? And so here, here's the, the thing about that. When we come into this world, when we're born, what condition are we born in? I heard it, was it? Sin. Thank you, Adam and Eve. Uh, that's right. We're born in sin. So are we clean or unclean? We're, we're unclean. And so what has to happen? As, as, as being born unclean, we must be redeemed by that which is clean. By the way, the Lamb of God who has taken away the sins of the world. Amen. Do you see it? God is nothing if he is not consistent. 1 John 4, 14 says this. We love him because he what? He loved us first. There's that word first again. Are you seeing it? We love him because he loved us what? First. God started it. And that's why we love him. Because he loved us before we ever thought of loving him. Now see, God knew the subtle trap that we were going to face as the high point of his creation. That's why he writes in Exodus 20, I think it's verse 3, it will come up on the screen, the Ten Commandments. And what does God say in those Ten Commandments? You shall have what? No other gods before me. You shall have no other little g gods where? Before him. Why would he say that? Why would he say no other gods? Why wouldn't he just say you shall have no gods before me? He doesn't say that. He says you shall have no what? Other God. Here's why. Because God knew that he was so good at creating. He was such 
a magnificent creator, that there would be a subtle danger that we would end up worshiping the created over the creator. Matter of fact, that's exactly what Romans 1 said happened. Thinking in themselves wise, they became fools and their foolish hearts were darkened and they worshiped the created over the creator. That's the trap. And God said, I want to keep that from happening. You're worshiping what I created instead of worshiping me. You're getting it backwards. And when that happens, what has been created, the, all the, it all becomes gravel in your mouth and stones in your belly. Not health to your bones and strength. Do you see it? God wants us blessable. So he said, have no other gods before me. And yet we do it all the time, don't we? We get, the, we get it out of order. Because God is such a good God and such an awesome creator. Sometimes we, we take our family... Our family gets in the way. And, and, and instead of worshiping God who gave us this awesome family, we end up worshiping the family. And sometimes it's the gifts. I have seen the giftedness get in the way. And we begin to spend more time on the gift and less time on the giver of the gift. And we get it out of sequence and out of order. Sometimes I've seen it to be financial increase in prosperity. And when people get it, they can no longer handle it. And all of a sudden, God gets shuffled to the back. I, I heard a story one time about a fellow came to see his pastor. He said, Pastor, when, when I was making 200 bucks a week, I had no problem putting that $20 in the offering. He said, now I make $20,000 a week. And I just got to tell you, I am really struggling writing a check for $2,000 every week. I'm having a hard time. Pray for me. The pastor said, absolutely. And they joined hands. And the old pastor said, dear Lord, take this man's salary back down to $200 a week. And the guy loosed his hands from the pastor. Are you crazy? He said, no, I thought you wanted to get free from this sin of idolatry. See, because when you have an idol, it will always be sacrificed to. So here's what happens. God says he is to be what place? First, because he wants us to have it in the proper order and sequence matters. But what happens is oftentimes, because he's such a good creator, we end up, God ends up getting shuffled to the back of the line. And here's the thing. When God's place is out of order, out of sequence in your life, get this now, everything that comes before it is devalued. Everything that comes before it has less value. God has less value. And everything else does too. Your family has less value. Your career has less value. Your increase has less value. But what happens when God is put in his rightful place? Everything else has more value. All of a sudden, the zeros line up behind the one. And all of a sudden, instead of having .0001, I have a thousand. Am I making sense this morning? Instead of having a penny... I have $1,000. What happened? God got put in his rifle. You seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all the things will be added to you. Does that make sense this morning? I'm going to begin a series next week, and this was a soft opening to that series, and it's called Kingdom Come. Now everything changes. Life in the kingdom is all Jesus preached. 
and we preach everything today except what he preached. And I want to walk you through the rest of the summer. Just we're going to walk through what does life in the kingdom look like. I can tell you right now, life in the kingdom starts with God being sought first and being in first place. Because when he does, when the order is in the right place, everything else lines up and it adds value to all the things behind God. But when God is out of order, we devalue everything that comes before it. I want to have our music team come at this time. And we're going to sing a little song that lines up perfectly with this.